Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Friday. Parshas, uh, what is it this week? Tazria, all about the leprosy. But it's also Parshas Chodesh, isn't it? Tomorrow, it's Rosh Chodesh and Parshas Chodesh. One of those three Sefer Torah Shabbos that don't come too often. Anyhow, in the context of Parshas Chodesh, that's what I was thinking of. Uh, it is going to sound weird, but nevertheless, it's striking, I think. And that is, of course, tomorrow we talk about Chodesh Ezel Chemrish Chodeshim. That Hashem tells Moshe and Aaron, as we all know, to get ready and do the carbon Pesach, starting on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, and he gives all the instructions, <clears throat> doesn't he? You know, uh, you should you take a carbon Pesach of this type and that type, and make sure you shecht it and eat it, and, you know, and tachos and groups, all the stories in the blood, we all know that. The striking thing goes like this. See, here, the typical way of explaining this goes, among the Mepharshim is, you have to take the God of Egypt and kill it. And that way you, you, you sort of like psychologically free yourself from disbelief. Haven't we heard 10,000 sermons and drushes and read Mepharshim that say the whole point of Christ, well, the reason they call it Shabbos Agado is because they took the uh, sheep and uh, the, the said, you know, in, in, in public, Pumbi, and the Egyptians had to see it, and why weren't they afraid of being attacked by the Egyptians? And they even, you know, uh, uh, shechted it publicly and smeared the blood on the walls, which is basically saying, come in and kill me. And in order to do this, he had to have great courage. It must have been a very powerful uh, challenge for the Jews. And that's goof of the vart. They had to show that they breaking away psychologically from their dependence on beliefs in the Egyptian idols, especially the main one. They said, that's usually the way we explain this. And there are 10,000 Mepharshim and Haggadahs, I'll bet you. That you know, animadvert on this uh, particular point. But here's the problem. Okay, so all the Jews did it, and they liberated themselves, hopefully, of this dependency sufficiently that Hashem let them out of Egypt. But Isis of Amosim, okay, fine, great. So, how come 90 days later they make a golden calf? <laughs> the back to the God of Egypt? Uh, because, after all, when did they make the golden calf? When she was a Thomas. So, from Pesach, you know, to she was Thomas is about three months. Right? 14th of Nisan to 17th of Thomas. So uh, that's weird. And as we all know, even with all the Pesach miracles and Chayavadim Mitzrayim, 90 days later, 95 days later, they're saying, Mitzrayim. The whole Jewish people said, these are the gods who took him out of Egypt, or the God, perhaps, took him out of Egypt, pointing to the golden calf. How can they do that? All right? 90 days later. If the whole point is to liberate, so how could it happen? It's a good question. And when I was thinking of this, in a class I had with the ladies the other day, the question itself leads you to notice something that you probably don't think of too often. At least that's what I thought, and that is, the Jews are not only told to kill the God of Egypt, they're told to eat it. Uh, wow. When you eat a god, 
you can look at it as a sign of contempt. But I got news for you. In the ancient world, eating a god was a profoundly religious experience, a mystical one of union with the divine. The god becomes part of you. Uh, they actually call it theophagy. There's actually a word like that. T-H-E-O-P-H-A-G-Y. Very widespread in the ancient world, where the believer, the pagan, is always afraid that the god will run away from him or not be there when he needs him. That's the whole shot of having idols. I'm speaking now like an anthropologist. Do you have something physical that you hold right next to you? Or you know where it is right in the town square? That's why all these little idols get all over the place so people can hang around their neck. You can't take my god away from me. And the ultimate pagan thing is uh, to eat it. Because then, really, you can't take away from me, and it became part of me. These are animistic, they call it, uh, kind of beliefs. And before you say that's weird, the Christian religion isn't into this today. It's the biggest religion in the world, isn't it? The central ritual of classic Christianity is to eat the body and the blood of so. Uh, what's the name? We all know this. Of course, it's weird from our point of view, but is it? What do I mean by that? We were told, eat the God of Egypt. Now, I understand, and you understand, now that we have 3,000 years of being Jews and being brainwashed as Yidden, so you say the whole side of eating is like a sign of contempt. But you can totally hear, or people at that time, especially during the Memtesh Sharitumah, meaning they already were very heavy into the Egyptian religious practices. You know, that's a famous theme. Halolu Avodi Zorah, Halolu Avodi Zorah. There are many drushes, though, Lakachas Logoi Mikherv Goi. That's a famous word of Yod Chazaka Zronatuya, I think, then achieves. Zronatuya is to pull one out of the other, even though they're the same. So we know the Jewish people, broadly speaking, were not holding so great at the time of the Yitzhak Mitzrayim. I don't have to speak about that, you know that. But if that's the case, then it is strange that Dermot Shalom tells them, take this God of Egypt and then eat it. And the reason I'm saying that is, it's totally liable to misunderstanding. And you can totally hear that when Moshe Bandit doesn't come down 90 days later from the mountain in time for, you know, to satisfy these people, because that's what they were all worried about. Whereas Moshe, as we all know the story of the Eagle is of, uh, they begin to say, who was it that took us out? And let's say it was the Arab that started, I don't know, you know, different opinions. You can totally hear you know where we took us out of here? The God of Egypt. How can you say he took the God of Egypt? I didn't see the God of Israel. It's invisible. I did see the God of Egypt. I know I ate it. Put the blood on the walls. It really became part of me. And therefore, Isn't that amazing? The only problem, I mean, I think, it strikes me that this is probably what happens. The only problem is, I'm not a super expert in Egyptology. There are such people. And I know one or two. And I'm not aware that in Egypt specifically they had such a belief at that time. But they had every other kind of belief. Theophagy is something you find, believe it or not, among the Greeks, among the Babylonians, I think, certain certain groups, you know, are into this. And still are today. It's an anthropological vote. You find certain religions that want to eat their God. And as I said before, the Catholics, the Christians in general are totally into this. It's like one of the big ceremonies. So they obviously see this in some positive way, even though it does look weird. So don't be surprised. Uh, whatever you do, people are going to misinterpret. And there is a famous Chazal that says 
that Moshe Rabbeinu, in trying to respond to God's anger at making the golden calf, said, what'd you give him so much gold and silver? Remember that? What'd you give him so much gold and silver? Ma ben velo yechta, I think the expression is. Didn't he have money to burn? Naturally, it turned into something bad. So, the Chazal are not anthropologists. I'm not sure they were into studying what was the theophagy <laughs> practices of the ancient Egyptians. Uh, and I'm not sure how much this, they were connected with very early Christianity. And I don't know very early Christianity, which he did have at the time of Chazal, had these sorts of practices. I think they came a little bit later, I believe, after the 4th century. But whatever it is, you can totally see over there. What did you tell them to go eat it for? Once you eat it, then... And I'm going to tell you something. This is a powerful anthropological belief that gets in, passed from generation to generation in the keshkas of the kids. And it's a terrible teaching. It's a terrible teaching. And the reason I say it's a powerful anthropological business, the golden calf reappears again and again in Jewish history, does it not? Many say that the Pesel Michua in the time of the Shoftim was a golden calf. And there's no question that Yeroven ben Devat in the time of the Malchus Yisrael, meaning after David Melch and after Shlomo, and after they built a magnificent base of Migdash. As a matter of fact, right, right after they built a magnificent base of Migdash, as we all know, they created the two Eglazovs, one in the north, one in the south, and uh, one in the in the Golan, what is it called, in Don, and one in, in, in Basel, which is in central Israel. And uh, obviously it must have gone popularity. Many Mepharshim are bothered. How could it be that right after Shlomo Melech, Dabin and Shlomo, right away the whole Jewish people jumped into, uh, I mean, you know, the tribes of the north, I'm saying, the, the ten tribes as they call them, jumped into the Eglazov, which they don't seem to ever got written of. So there are many ways of explaining it. There are. Uh, but I think this is one of them. That uh, any ritual or mitzvah you do, if somebody, how's the expression go? There's like a pasuk like that with the paraduma. If you want to be superstitious about it, uh, go be superstitious. If you want to follow what the Torah tells you to do, follow what the Torah tells you to do. See, here we have at the very core, in the very beginning of our birth as a nation, um, when we're told to do the carbon pesa, which you can't get more heavy. And usually we think you can't get a heavier example of anti avodazara than the carbon pesa. Not true. Somebody can go and twist anything around they, they want whatsoever. And uh, it could be that this, I mean, I don't know, but it could be that this business I just told you lay deep at the core of the old Jewish experience and reappears in early Christianity. In other words, their first Christians were Jews. So uh, maybe they, they, they were the type that still held over to these traditions of the of the, uh, what do you call it, the, the Karm Pesach being a, a kind of a god or, or something like that, and you're eating it, and that's how it ended up being a central core issue of Christianity. If you talk to a Christian, I don't think most of you do, if you talk to a Christian, they talk about Pesach, the Paschal Lamb, all the rest of it, they see all as a reference to uh, their Savior. Uh, now, obviously, they're Jews, crazy, I'm talking what they say, and uh, you wonder if that's so. How do they see it? They see it the way I just told you. You go eat your God. So uh, you have to really watch out anytime you say something, uh, how it's going to be interpreted or misinterpreted. And uh, Pesach is like a striking example of that. So this is a little bit of a downer, but I specialize in that. Have a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, 
please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.